Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the power of your word and the word of your power. And we pray, Father, that you would convict us this day, that you would speak to our hearts in the way that only you can with regards to embracing the fullness of our identities. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. While I've really been feeling so fulfilled uh, sharing with you the things that I believe the Lord is showing me with regards to identity. And um, as we draw towards an end of this particular series, we want to talk today about embracing your identity. It's one thing to know about your identity. It's one thing to pray about your identity. It's quite another thing to fully embrace your identity. And we're going to look at a powerful passage of scripture that many of you will be familiar with, but I want to unpack it uh, for you and let's see how the Lord will minister to us. So we're going to read from the book of Judges, Judges chapter 4, and I'm going to read from verses 1 through to 10. It says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud was dead. Now, Ehud was the left-handed guy who God used powerfully to rescue uh, the people of Israel. And when he died, uh, the people started doing evil again. And I find it so interesting because the destiny of nations is often linked to the activation of certain individuals. The destiny of nations is very often linked to the activation of certain individuals. And it's interesting that when Ehud had died people started to do evil once again, you see. Um, and so I want to ask you this question. What would happen to your community if you were no longer there? I often ask the question this way. What would happen to our community if our church was not there? Would people around us say, well, at least there's more parking space now, right? What would they say? Are we making a difference? What would happen to your community if you were no longer there? What would happen to your family if you were no longer there? What would happen to this nation if our church was no longer there? What would happen to your church if you were no longer there? Are we making a difference? Am I making a difference? Are you making a difference? This is a very important question, you see, because it says when Ehud had died, the people started to do evil again. So Ehud made a difference. So we want to make sure that our identity, the fullness of our identity is actually being activated so that we are salt and light in this particular community. You see, it's, it's not a nice to have this whole identity thing that we're talking about. It's not this thing of like, oh yeah, if you feel like it, then try it out and maybe do it. No, it's a life and death situation. And I think this is really important. We go into verse two. It says, so the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan. Now, that's because of the evil they were doing, but it's also because someone who had rescued them, who was playing a key role, Ehud, had died. Right? So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harosheth, Hagoam. Because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. 
Now, it's interesting how it's worded here. I don't know if they only started crying out to the Lord after 20 years, but that's what we sometimes do, isn't it? You know, we experience hardship. We experience oppression, demonic oppression. We go through all sorts of things in our lives and we try out all sorts of solutions. And then when they don't work, what do we do? We then cry out to the Lord. This was 20 years. This is a serious situation. Some people, young men who are, who are in the army who would fight, Okay, a 19-year-old, 18-year-old, that's all they would have known all their lives, that Sisera, the commander of uh, uh, the Canaanite army, is the one who's actually uh, oppressing us. That's all they ever knew. But they cried out to the Lord. And this is so powerful. God hears our prayers. God hears our prayers. God responds to our cries. He had raised up Ehud in response to prayer. Because the Bible earlier on in the previous chapter, in chapter 3, actually says the people cried out to the Lord and he raised up Ehud, the left-handed man who was a strong fighter. Okay, And it's interesting because they cried out to the Lord again and guess what he ends up doing? He raises up Deborah. Okay, So he also activated Deborah in response to prayer. And I believe that identity activation is very linked to the ministry of prayer. As we go deeper in prayer, as we uh, have these powerful prayer meetings we've been having via Zoom, as we cry out to the Lord, I believe that our identities are being activated. People who were uh, in obscurity are being raised up right now. Right? People who didn't know how to pray are starting to become strong prayer warriors. People who weren't prophetic, who didn't see things, who didn't hear things, are starting to see and hear things because of prayer. We need to be crying out to the Lord because he responds to prayer, particularly prayer in faith. So it says, now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. So she was already leading. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. Now, now, who said women are not wise? Who says women cannot lead? Because this is a classic example of how God used Deborah. And when I, when I look at the scripture, it doesn't say, oh, he only used her because there weren't any able men around. No, he just he used Deborah, you know, uh, let's just accept that, right? So what's interesting here is Deborah was already functioning as a judge and a leader, but she was now being activated into another dimension of her purpose. You see, she probably functioned in a strong spirit of wisdom as a judge and as a leader. But her primary purpose, I believe, was to rescue a nation. And I find it so interesting because this required the activation of her primary calling as a prophet. Because when you read about it, it says, now Deborah, a prophet. That's the first thing it says. It describes her as a prophet, describes her as the wife of Lapidoth. Okay, and it says she was leading. But God had to activate her in a time of war. And you see, some of you are remaining in your comfort zone. You're so used to being a leader. You're so used to being a judge. You're so used to being a counselor. But there comes a time when people cry out to God for a solution and he raises you up to function in your primary purpose, to function maybe in a different office than you're used to, to function in uh, at another level, you see. And some of you have settled but God is saying, you know what, it's time to arise because it's time for war. 
and I want to use you powerfully. So I find some interesting principles here that God picked someone who was already functioning faithfully in accordance to what God had called them to do for that time. He picked someone who was already functioning faithfully in what you might call their day job. It's not like he just saw someone who was lazy, who was unfaithful, who was not doing much, and then said, oh, I want to use you. And out of the yellow, this guy is used by God. No, he picked someone who was faithfully day in, day out, serving God in the spirit of wisdom. And she was the judge at the time. And then he says, you know what? I want to actually raise up this person to function at another level. Okay. Um, so although she was faithful in a day job, as it were, right, she didn't stay in her comfort zone. For some of you, God is taking you to another level, but you tend to stay in your comfort zone. You're uncomfortable stepping out to new dimensions. You're already admired in what you are doing. You know, Deborah was already a leader. People went up to her, you know, and physically they were going up to her. But I believe that even in terms of how they saw her, how they admired her, how they looked up to her as a mother in Israel, they went up to her. She could have just been like, wow, not many women get to do this. I think I'm fine. I think I'm okay. I believe that God wants to take us to new levels of functioning according to our identity. But are we ready for it? And it's interesting to note that she was still identified as a woman submitted to her husband. <laughs> I think that's powerful, right? And I know that culturally in, in that time, that's how they would describe a particular woman to say, this person is the wife of so-and-so. And I believe that it's there on purpose in scripture and in the culture because it shows that to be a great woman, greatly used by God, you don't have to move out of the covering of your husband, okay? You can still function being a great wife, but also being a great leader, great prophet, great mother, right? The other functions you have. I believe that it's so similar to the woman in Proverbs 31, the Proverbs 31 woman, okay? She was a great entrepreneur. She was admired by her kids. She was admired by her husband, right? She was admired in the community. She was generous to her employees, okay? A wonderful person, but still prioritized family, still prioritized what was going on at home, didn't leave that behind. Do you know that quite a number of cults have been started by women who moved out of the covering of their husbands, okay? They didn't necessarily divorce their husbands, but they were on their own mission doing their own thing. I just want to highlight that um, if, you, if you study the formation of the cults, okay? Don't get too caught up in that, but um, trust me on that one, okay? So you can be this great leader. You can be this powerful prophet, but still someone's wife, and it's important to have that good balance. Um, and I'm now speaking to the ladies, right? Um, it doesn't make you less powerful when you are submitted as a wife, okay? Deborah, you know, what's amazing about Deborah is she was able to integrate different aspects of her identity, just like the Proverbs 31 woman. And that's the struggle a lot of people have today. You know, they don't know how to be CEO at work, but then come home as a submitted wife. Or army commander at work, and come home and play with your children, okay? I believe the type of people God is raising up in this hour is uh, the type of person who's able to move in and out of different roles, who's able to integrate all of these into their identity instead of just, I'm an army commander, that's all I can do, so I won't be tender to my wife. Uh-uh, doesn't work that way. So verse 6 says, She sent for Barak, son of Ibanoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, 
go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give you and give him into your hands. I find it amazing how Deborah was activated in the fullness of her identity, okay, to rescue Israel. But part of that activation involved activating other people. Isn't it amazing? Your activation impacts the activation of other people because she then spoke prophetically, giving an instruction to Barak. And the instruction then uh, implied that he would be activated into the fullness of his purpose and identity for that assignment. And he had to also activate other people. Your activation will impact the people around you. When I'm activated, I'll activate others who will activate others. Isn't that powerful? All right. And so she gave him that particular instruction. All right. So the activation of your identity does not mean you're not a team player. She didn't get this revelation and then think to herself, let me do everything myself so that I'm the hero. Okay. She knew what her role was. And when you study this narrative, you see that her role was to speak forth that which God had given her. She was functioning as a prophet. This is so important. And that's why in the body of Christ today, prophets have to know how to work effectively with apostles. Okay. Uh, It's not the job of the prophet to implement everything they have by way of revelation. Oh, I had this revelation. So now I have to do it. No. Prophets play their part in declaring the word of God. That declaration, that release of the word of God is so powerful because the Bible says that uh, the Lord watches over his word, right, to ensure that it is uh, made effective or effectual, right? So we see that the role of the prophet is to release the word, but there are other people who have a role of executing that particular word. Now, What's powerful here is that Deborah did not do the fighting. She functioned as a prophet. She let someone else execute what she had seen and declared. She stayed in her lane. Deborah was an identity activator. She was actually activating someone else's identity. She activated Barak into his purpose. And then Barak understood that Deborah was his destiny helper. This is so important. Right. Hence his statement in verse eight, Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Isn't that isn't that amazing? And remember, Moses said a similar thing, didn't he? Lord, we'll only go with your presence. If your presence isn't with us, then we're not going to go. It's important that we understand who the destiny helpers in our lives are. And to stay close to those particular people, to know that, you know what, this is someone God has brought into my life. Let me stay close to them, okay? Not in a manipulative, controlling way, no. And I'm not saying it's like a marriage per se, but it's important for you to know that for my assignment, I need to work with this particular person. Deborah couldn't do it all on her own. She needed Barak. Barak, as you can see here, couldn't do it all on his own. He needed Deborah because of her prophetic mantle. Okay, Uh, this is crucial. Now, in the new in the new covenant, in the New Testament, things are a bit different because we can hear God for ourselves. But there's the function of the prophet in the New Testament, isn't there? There's a function of the prophet in the New Testament. There's a function of the fivefold ministry, prophets, teachers, evangelists, pastors. Uh, It's important to have these people involved in our lives. Apostles. Okay, Uh, God, God uses these ministry gifts 
for our lives so that we come to a place of maturity and we need to be rightly aligned to these ministry gifts. Okay, there are other people in your life where God says, you know what, just stay close to this person. If you think of the relationship between Ruth and Naomi, it was similar. No, I'm going to stick with you. I'm going to stick with you. Who's God telling you to stay close to? Who's God telling you to nurture your relationship with them? Okay, so your identity can be activated, but you still need to surround yourself with the right people. That's the principle there. Your identity can be activated, but you still need to surround yourself with the right people. That's why you find that when um, well, the time when Paul was going up to Troas, what did he actually end up saying? He said, you know, what? I couldn't find my brother Titus. So I decided to move on. All right. I couldn't find my brother Titus. OK, so we moved. So we moved on. All right. Why does he say that he was a team player, even though he had the revelation of where he should go? Right. And I love Deborah's response. Certainly, I will go with you. If you're someone's destiny helper, do it with conviction. Don't do it with, hesitantly. OK, certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. I think it's so amazing because if he hadn't asked her to go with, to come with, I, I wonder whether she would have done so. So we see that she didn't enforce herself on him in the particular situation, but he made the request and she's like, cool, I'm, go I'm good. Let's go. Let's do it. And that's how we should work together in the body of Christ. It's one thing to have your identity activated. It's another thing to figure out who you should walk with in this life. Okay. So pre-decide that you will not take the glory. This is how the Lord spoke to me concerning this. Pre-decide that you will not take the glory. You know, we have a situation where Deborah is actually warning him saying, listen, dude, if you were doing this for your own glory, yes, you're in a situation where maybe for the last 20 years, you've been in a situation where you've seen that Sisera has oppressed you and maybe you are gung-ho and you just like want uh, to kill this guy. But let me tell you up front, the glory is not going to go to you. The honor is not going to go to you. It's going to go to a woman. A woman is going to be used by God. It's almost like in this whole narrative, God is trying to show that I can use women too. Okay, he uses Deborah and then he uses Jael, who ends up uh, being the one who kills Sisera. I think, he, I think God is trying to say something here. All right. So pre-decide that you will not take the glory. What happened to Barak is the story of many of our lives. The difference is that he got a warning about it. You see, uh, right? We would not react as much if we prepared ourselves not to get the glory. Have you noticed that? Okay. If we, if we knew that, you know what? I'm not going to get the glory in such and such a situation. When we don't get the glory, we won't react. We won't say, but what about me? Right? Uh, there's situations in my life where I've said, Lord, when this works out, may no one take the credit for it. Only you, Lord. And I want to encourage you to make that type of a covenant with the Lord. He promotes you in the spirit when you're the kind of person who is broken before him, who says, God, this thing that I'm doing, I'm doing it for your honor and for your glory. And it's powerful that Deborah actually warned him and told him that you won't get the glory, you know, because later on, you actually see Barak there, you know, inquiring, asking Jael, hey, where, where, where's the person? Where's this guy? Where's Sisera? Right. And she has to show him and say, look, he's already killed, dude. Okay. 
Um, and I'm hoping he was prepared to hear that. Now, there's certain, there's certain things that need to be declared before they come to pass. And I find it interesting that Deborah had to declare a number of things, right? She spoke over Barak's life, saying this is what's going to take place. She released a prophetic word saying that this guy, Sisera, is going to be killed by a woman. She released that. And it's interesting. I believe that if she hadn't made that particular declaration, it wouldn't necessarily have happened that way. What is it that God is telling you to declare? Your declaration might activate someone else's identity. I believe Jael, the lady who ended up killing Sisera, her identity was activated when that word was released. There are things God is wanting to do, but he's waiting for us to release the word. And throughout this narrative, just read through it for yourself and you will see quite a number of times before certain things take place, she announces it in the spirit and then the thing takes place. And I believe that we've got powerful words that God is calling us to actually release and we need to start doing so if we're not doing so already, okay? Because it might activate someone's identity. <clears throat> Verse 10, there Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went up with him. I believe God is raising up a mighty army, an army of worshiping warriors. You know, I believe that Deborah was a worshiper because you see later on, there's the song of Deborah, you know, uh, so she would sing. And I believe that a lot of her prophetic utterances were done in song. I believe that the Lord is taking us to a place where we will worship, we will praise, we will sing. Okay, we'll put things into in song. We will write a new song. We will sing a new song and it will activate people to battle. I believe he's raising up such a person, such a people in this hour. Amen. So in Judges 4, if you skip over to Judges 4, I'm going to read from verses 14 to 23. Then Deborah said to Barak, go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Can you see she was declaring it? Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Okay. God is taking us to a place where the thing that empowered the enemy, the enemy is being loosed from that right now. Right. The, the areas where the enemy had a stronghold. Right. is being loosed, being untied. Right. Well, you're being untied from that right now. In the name of Jesus. Okay. So we see that he had oppressed the people of Israel because of his 900 chariots. But now we see that he's fleeing on foot. Okay. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him. Um, sorry, let me, let me just back backtrack a bit. He fled on foot. Verse 16. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as uh, Harasheth, uh, Hegoim. And all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber the Kenite. Okay, so these guys had an alliance. So Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. 
Don't be afraid. You see, we must be wise as wise as serpents, uh, the Bible says. So he entered her tent and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, give him a, gave him a drink. Isn't that interesting? He asked for water. She gave him milk, right? Uh, obviously to help him sleep, I guess. But the point is, don't give the enemy what he wants. Don't give the enemy what he wants. Okay, he's just trying to, uh, don't strengthen the enemy, right? Um, and covered him up. St stand in the doorway of the tent, he told him. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone in here? Say no. Is anyone in there? Say no. But Jael, Haber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground and he died. Now, here's the, here's the principle. Jael's identity was activated as prophetic fulfillment. She did what she did because it had been declared. There are people who are going to do certain things when you start making certain declarations. What she did had been declared by Deborah. She's described later on in chapter 5, verse 24, uh, in Deborah's song, as most blessed amongst tent-dwelling women. Right? It says, you're most blessed amongst women, most blessed amongst tent-dwelling women. This shows that Deborah was not insecure. She wasn't like, hey, as a woman who's leading this process, I want to be the person who gets the glory. No, she's seeing someone who's executing the word she had declared. And later on, you hear her, she's act you, you see that she's actually singing about jail and celebrating what jail actually did, saying, you are most blessed amongst women, amongst tent-dwelling women. See, she knew that part of her purpose was to activate others into their true identity in God. And you see, some of us are called to that. We might not end up being the heroes who everyone will know about, but we will activate the heroes. If you are that person, it's important to embrace that and not to resent it, you see. So <clears throat> when, when Deborah saw what had happened with jail, Deborah actually rejoiced. And you see that in chapter five. Okay. So are you willing to declare powerful words that release others into their true identity? Are you willing to do that? Okay. Do you rejoice when you see them functioning in this manner? When you see them functioning according to what God has called them to do? Deborah could have lusted after the praise and recognition, but from the beginning, she had declared who would be honored. She says a woman will be honored. In verse 22, just then, Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with the tent peg through his temple, dead. On that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites. In Judges 5 verse 7, uh, it says, Villagers in Israel would not fight. They held back until I, Deborah, arose, until I arose a mother in Israel. For me, that's very significant. Here she is, she's singing about what has taken place. And she makes a powerful statement. Villagers in Israel would not fight. They held back until I, Deborah, arose. You see, despite her great exploits, she still identified herself as a mother in Israel, right? She was comfortable with this association. 
You see, many times we start doing great things and we kind of like try and move away from our identity that we might think is not, a, is not something to be praised by people. It's not something that's recognized nowadays. I find it so powerful when you have a female CEO who's also a great mom. I was coaching someone recently and I said, you know, it's powerful when people see how, yes, you are the strong leader in the corporate world, but you're also happy to become a mom. You're also happy to be a wife and people need to know that. Okay. So she describes herself as a mother in Israel and she was not ashamed of that. Okay. Um, there are people who are holding back today until you arise. She said, villagers in Israel would not fight. They held back until I, Deborah, arose. Do you know who these people are who are holding back? And you know what they're holding back? Because God is waiting. The world is waiting. Creation is groaning for your identity to be activated. People are holding back until you arise. And let me just say something. That word hold back in the Hebrew, it actually speaks of deserting. There are certain people who have deserted their posts because you haven't yet been activated. It means to desert. It means to neglect. It means to stop. It means to cease. It means to refrain, to refuse. It means to quit. There are certain people who are quitting because you have not yet been activated in the fullness of your purpose. Your destiny is linked to other people's destiny. And when she talks about arise, until I, Deborah, arose, okay, that word arise is to stand up, but it also means to stand up against something. That's the other meaning of it, to stand up against something. So God wants us to arise, but we also need to arise against. What is he calling you to arise against? God has linked up other people's destinies to yours. He's linked up other people's destinies to yours. And so when you hold back, you actually end up affecting other people, right? Simple as that. So what are you called to activate in others? For Deborah, it was fighting. It was a fighting spirit. She said, people did not fight until I arose. When she arose, they began to fight. Those 10,000 men, Barak and those 10,000 men, okay? So perhaps for you, they're not praying until you arise. When you arise, they'll begin to pray, okay? Because that's what you're called to do, to raise up prayer warriors, Okay, maybe they're not giving until you arise because the grace on your life is to activate people into giving. Okay, what is it for you? Maybe they're not excellent in what they do until you arise. Maybe they are unhealthy and unfit until you arise. Maybe they remain biblically illiterate and ignorant of the word of God until you arise because you're a teacher of the word who's supposed to activate them. Okay, they will always be, this is so important, there will always be something in you that will activate others to their next level in a particular area. I'm going to say it again. There will always be something in you that will activate others to their next level in a particular area. There will always be something in you that will activate something in others to their next level in a particular area. Okay, this is so, so crucial. And it's important for you to know what that thing is. <clears throat> if we read on, it says, God chose new leaders when war came to the city gates, but not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. 
My heart is with Israel's princes, with the willing volunteers among the people. Praise the Lord. And so what we see here is that God will often raise up new leaders for new battles. It says God chose new leaders when war came to the city gates. I'm telling you right now, there are battles that we have to deal with. There are battles that we have to face in this time that we didn't have to face last year. There are new battles and those new battles require new leaders. You see, even if you look at uh, football, you know, many of you like soccer, you like football. And, you know, everyone will talk about Messi and Ronaldo, Messi and Ronaldo. But there came a time where we started seeing uh, Kylian Mbappe. We started seeing Neymar, right? But I'm telling you right now, there's also a time coming where there are young 17, 18 year olds who are doing amazing things. And people say, that's going to be the new uh, Messi. Okay. Uh, That's going to be the new Ronaldo. You hear people talking like this. Right. Uh, And I don't want to be distracted with soccer, so I'm not going to start talking about who's who and so on, because some of you might disagree. But the point I'm making is God chose the Bible says God chose new leaders when war came to the city gates. God is raising up new leaders today. And it's important that they're activated in the fullness of their identity. It's important that they're raised up with good theology because your theology will affect your morality. Right. God will often raise up new leaders for new battles, and they're battles that will require the activation of certain people's identities. Maybe the Lord is using you as a parent right now to activate the identity of your child because of the battles he's going to face and because of the identities that are going to be activated through his life or her life. What we also see in this scripture is that Deborah had a shepherd's heart. Deborah had a shepherd's heart. She says, my heart is with Israel's princes, with the willing volunteers among the people. Isn't that beautiful? Deborah had a shepherd's heart. True prophetic ministry is carried out with a shepherd's heart. Her heart was with the volunteers. Whatever ministry gift you are needs to, needs to be carried out with a shepherd's heart. You can't say, I know I'm a prophet and so I'm just interested in the word of the Lord. I don't care about people. No, when you deliver the prophetic word, it's with God's heart and God is the great shepherd. Okay, we are under shepherds of Jesus. This is this is crucial. Our heart was with the volunteers. It doesn't matter how high you're raised up by the Lord. Okay, it's important to have a heart that's a heart with the people. In Judges 5 verse 12, it says, wake up, wake up, Deborah. Wake up, wake up, break out in song. Arise, Barak, take captive your captives, son of Ibnoam. For me, that's powerful because Deborah breaks out in song whilst Barak takes the enemy captive. God is raising up worshipping warriors. God is raising up worshipping warriors. Some of you will speak out. Some of you will sing out. Some of you will make certain declarations and others will implement and execute. And both are important. And I find it interesting that Deborah didn't do the same thing that Barak did. Barak didn't do what Deborah did. They stayed in their lanes. They knew what their identity was. They were clear about it. So as I land this message, I want to talk to you a bit about the things that are really identity killers. The things that stop us from embracing our identity. And we look at this passage of scripture concerning Deborah and there's certain things she did. There's certain things that were done 
all right, uh, that resulted in people embracing their identity. So it's really the opposite of those particular things. So the first thing that uh, is really an identity killer that stops us from embracing our identity that I want to highlight is the spirit of delay, the spirit of delay. Okay, so we delay our calling, for example, our calling uh, due to a number of things. Sometimes it's procrastination. If you look throughout this narrative, it's interesting that everything was done timelessly. Okay, for some of us, we procrastinate and you actually push out your identity into a future state. But that's a way of rejecting it. You know, where we say, not yet, where we say, I'm waiting for the perfect team. I'm waiting for this to happen. I, I just want to build up a strong business first before I really serve the Lord. No, if you're called to start a small group, start a small group, speak to us. We'll equip you, we'll help you, and you can start gathering people. If you are called to reach the lost, begin to do it. There's no perfect time. So, so we delay our calling. We delay the embracing of our identity because of procrastination. Secondly, perfectionism. Perfectionism. Waiting for the perfect time. Waiting for the perfect setup. Waiting for the perfect qualification. You go, you do a seminar on this on a particular topic. Then afterwards you're like, mm, I now need a degree on it. Oh, no, no, I now need my PhD on it. And you never end up embracing your identity. Sometimes we delay because of low self-esteem. We've got this thing where we think like, I'm not yet old enough, you know? Uh, I'm, not yet, I'm, I'm not yet approved by those people, right? A low self-esteem will cause you to delay certain things. And because you're a Christian and you're trying to be positive, you'll always say like, no, I'll do it, I'll do it, but just not yet. No, I'll do it, I'll do it, but just not yet. And what delay tends to do, it tends to deceive you because you think, I haven't yet disobeyed God, you know? But you know what? Delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. You know, there are certain songs you need to start writing now because this generation needs them. There are battles. There are battles that you need to be a part of that are taking place now. They're not taking place in 10 years time. All right. I'm not, I'm not saying rush into everything. No, catch my heart. Catch my heart. You see that she was a judge for many years, operating as a judge for many years, leading a particular nation. But as soon as the Lord said, do this, she stepped out and she did it. Okay. Rigid ideas. Sometimes we've got rigid ideas and this stops us from stepping out. What do I mean? A woman can't do this. <coughs> rigid ideas. A woman can't do this. A woman can't go out into battle with these guys. You know, I'm not qualified. Right. Uh, distractions. Very often when someone procrastinates, have you noticed, it's not like they're sitting still doing nothing. When they procrastinate, they're actually doing second things first. So if you're supposed to be studying, what happens? I say to you, hey, how's the studying going? And I arrive at your house and what are you doing? You're cleaning your kitchen. Oh, you know what, Paul? I cannot study if I've got a messy kitchen. So I'm just working on my kitchen. Yeah, but you'll be spending the last three hours cleaning your kitchen. Okay, so what are the things that are distracting you from your primary purpose? Sometimes it's other voices. There's a spirit of delay because of other voices, because there's some people who say, no, get your PhD first. You know, no, have all your kids first before you step out and do A, B, C, D. Okay, what are those other voices that are competing with God's voice in your life? It's important to actually get rid of those other voices. You see, so we see that everything in this narrative was done timelessly. Okay, being used by God was actually seen as an honor. Nowadays, people are like, oh, I have to now serve the Lord. Oh, I have to now start this. And we look down upon the things of the Lord. That's wrong. 
arguments that usually exalt themselves above the knowledge of the word of God, okay, were being disarmed and dissolved, dissolved. And that's why they stepped out and did what God was calling them to do. Another major identity killer is people pleasing, people pleasing. You know, a lot of us are not embracing our identities today because we are, we are choosing a career based on our family's preference, you know, our extended family. This is what's regarded highly by my people. Therefore, I'm going to do this. And the voice of the Lord is squashed. Sometimes uh, people pleasing manifest in that we idolize certain vocations. This is what's regarded highly. Oh, black people couldn't do this, and I'm now doing this. So praise me and honor me because I'm now doing it. But is it what God has told you to do? You know, it might have been more comfortable for Deborah to continue just dealing with disputes. It might have looked more dignified. People might have frowned upon her saying, you, a woman, how come you're going out into battle? What are you doing? Women don't do that. But she stepped out and she did it. She stepped out and she did it. She wasn't a people pleaser. Her primary purpose was let me please the Lord. Sometimes uh, this identity killer affects us and it's money matters. Money matters. So we are led by the money and not by the spirit. You see, do you know that jail, the lady jail who ended up killing Sisera? I mean, think about it. She, she wasn't struggling with the fear of man. Maybe she was, but she overcame it. Because if her husband's family was in alliance with the Canaanites. Imagine, she might have fallen out of favor with them. She might have been the bad um, uh, daughter-in-law. You see, Jael could have compromised in fear of what her family might lose. There were benefits to being in covenant with oppressors. And for the last 20 years, these people had been oppressed. But obviously, these guys, you know, were probably living large because of this particular alliance. What would her husband's family have said? She wasn't controlled by the money. She wasn't controlled by the benefits. She was led by the Spirit of God. The fourth identity killer that I see here is current environment and circumstances. For a lot of people, the current environment and circumstances stops them from stepping out. Imagine this, 900 chariots oppressing you. That's potentially very intimidating. But this, this didn't stop them. This didn't stop them. They stepped out and said, you know what? We're going to get these 10,000 men. The Lord has spoken. Let's do it. You know what? Uh, Deborah, as long as you're with us, we'll be cool. We'll be fine because you're a prophet. Okay? For me, this is very powerful because some of you are being oppressed by demons. Some of you are being oppressed by haters out there. People who don't like you. People who are full of envy toward you. And you're so intimidated by them. And so you're not embracing the fullness of your identity. Enough is enough. We need to rise up and do the things that God has called us to do. Okay? And we're in a season right now as a church where we're going to resume our small groups once, once again. Right? Because we're now able to be meeting face to face. We're going to resume those. And I want to encourage those of you who want to start groups and those of you who are currently running groups, take it to another level. Reach the lost in your communities. And don't worry about what people will think. The day and age of um, the fear of man is over. If you want to be a mighty warrior used by God, you can't still be a people pleaser. You can't still be led by money. You can't still be, what will my family think of me? I know people, wives, who uh, would compromise, right? Uh, strong characters in the church setting. But when they would go to uh, the rural areas, they would compromise and start getting involved in uh, ancestral worship. Not, not actively, but just, you know, still being there, still being a part of the process and so on, because they were terrified 
of uh, their in-laws. They were terrified that they might be seen as the daughter-in-law who's, um, who's being disobedient. It's time that we overcome these particular things, ladies and gentlemen. There's too much at stake. Who is God to you? Who is God to you? I'd rather fear the Lord. Okay? <clears throat> Another identity killer is lack of mentorship and emotional support. There's certain people who are destiny helpers. If you've got no mentor to activate or draw out the gift of God in you, uh, sometimes you end up not stepping into the fullness of your identity. I want to encourage you. Deborah activated something in Barak. Barak then called forth the 10,000 men. We need people in our lives who take us to our next level. They might not be our spiritual father. They might not have a certain place in our lives in that particular way. But we've got destiny helpers who come alongside us and they activate us into a new level. Who are those in your life? Spend time with those people because God uses people. Some of you are lone rangers in your life and you, the root of it is really pride. You're too proud to humble yourself and to say, please pray for me to activate this particular thing. You're too proud. That's your problem. Okay. <clears throat> so we see this narrative uh, as a classic case of prophetic activation and prophetic oversight. That's what Deborah actually did. The other destiny killer that I want to highlight, it, it ruins people's identities. It's an identity killer that ends up becoming a destiny killer because when your identity is not in Christ, when you don't embrace the fullness of your identity, you end up affecting your destiny. It's a fixed mindset, a fixed mindset. It's that mindset that says, if I failed in the past, then I'll fail in the future. Either I'm good at something or I'm not. I can't learn now. It's too late to learn anything. Okay. I always struggle with A, B, C, D. So I'm always going to struggle with it. Okay. Uh, God doesn't use women in this particular way. No, rather we should have a growth mindset. And a growth mindset says, if God is leading me this way, then he equips me. He supplies for me. All right. Uh, that's an important principle. With every assignment the Lord gives you, right, there's divine supply. There's divine supply for his assignments, not for other assignments, for his assignments. So the trick is to find out what's my assignment in life and let me step out in it because there'll always be divine supply. Okay, so let's have a growth mindset and not a fixed mindset. <clears throat> That's very important. The next one I want to share with you is condemnation. You know, in the time of Deborah, the context was that the Israelites had been doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. But despite this, they didn't feel sorry for themselves, okay? The Lord heard their cry and moved on their behalf. They had to believe that God would be with them. Guilt and condemnation would have short-circuited what God wanted to do. You see, guilt and condemnation brings about doubt because you begin to think like, but I don't think God is going to use me. I don't think God is going to rescue us because God is just going to punish us. They had to believe that God was for them, not against them, that God was on their side, okay? condemnation is one of the biggest identity killers. There are a lot of people today who are living at the same shame level that they lived in when they were in sin, when they were backslidden, right? If you look in scripture, the Bible doesn't just say God forgives us of our sins. It also says God cleanses us of a guilty conscience. Some of you have been bound by a guilty conscience for too long. And so you keep disqualifying yourselves, but Jesus hasn't disqualified you. You keep thinking to yourself, but I can't do that. I've sinned too much. 
I have been inconsistent. I don't pray enough. You need to start believing. You need to start believing. That's the work of the born-again Christian. The work is to believe, to trust God that what he says in his word is true. Okay? Don't allow yourself to feel condemned. Don't allow yourself to keep feeling guilty. Repent and move on so that you can fully embrace your identity. And then the eighth one is envy. Eighth one is envy. You see, we spend a lot of time coveting someone else's gifts and callings. You see, Deborah, Barak, the 10,000 men and Jael had different roles and functioned according to their purpose. The result of this was peace for 40 years. And we need to get to that place as the church where we're not just chilling saying, oh, but he's doing that. Oh, she's doing that. Lord, why aren't you using me? No, find out what God has called you to do. Embrace it fully. One of my books is called, and we did a series on this uh, some, some a few years ago, uh, maybe about three or four years ago, uh, but it's maximizing your gifts and calling, maximizing your gifts and calling. It's such an important principle. Focus on what God has called you to do. Stay in your lane and do what he's called you to do. That's what we see in this narrative. They worked as a team and God used them mightily and there was peace for 40 years. Okay? So I want to encourage you as you go forth from here to embrace your identity just like Deborah did. And she activated other people's identities. And I would like you to uh, please get the notes read through them. You know, some of these messages, uh, you, you need to work through the notes and pray through them. You know, we've got um, some strategic prayers that are crafted from these that Pastor Vim has been faithfully doing for the last couple of years, uh, stemming from these uh, messages. Get a hold of those. They, they load uploaded on the, on the website. You can get hold of those. They're passed around some of our WhatsApp groups and pray through these messages because that's where the change happens, okay? Otherwise, you'll leave this place with just one point and you would have forgotten about it. So let's step out from this place fully embracing our identities. Let's study these identity killers and let's renounce them from our lives. Whatever it is for you, whether it's uh, envy, condemnation, a fixed mindset, um, lack of mentorship and emotional support. Uh, maybe you're looking at the mountain that's that you're facing right now, the current environment, the 900 chariots. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's money matters. Maybe you're controlled by, this, by mammon, controlled by the spirit of greed, and you make all your decisions based on money. Uh, maybe it's the people-pleasing spirit. Or maybe it's the spirit of delay. I don't know what it is for you, but make sure you do the opposite. Okay. Um, it's so crucial, just like Deborah and the others did. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in our lives. I pray for each person who has listened to this message. I pray, Father, that each one of us would fully embrace our identities and that we would not rest on our laurels. We would not uh, delay that which you want to do in this season in our lives, but that we would fully embrace it, Lord, and run with what you're calling us to do. I pray that you raise up destiny helpers for us, Lord, and that we will be clear about who they are and who they're not and that we would partner with them as we go to our next level in you and in your purposes. Thank you that you're raising up a mighty army for new battles that we have to face in this hour. And Lord, may we be prepared. May we be ready for what you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. We love you a lot. And um, join us for our prayer meetings throughout the week. Amen.